In this episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast, I'm joined by fashion designer and indie creative Emily Dacoret. You know, this is another great episode. Um, I was introduced to Emily um, through my new friend over at B Squared Management. She is an absolute joy to speak to. Um, she talks about the fact that she comes from a multicultural background being the fact that her family's from Honduras, but she's a first-generation American. And she so says she's so grateful to have the perspective and the experience of being from a multicultural background. Uh, We talk about her earliest memories of music being at five years old, when her mom put her in dance class for her first recital. She talks about being nervous to perform, but that whenever she heard the music for the first time that she just went into this special place and was able to just uh, perform and not even be distracted by anything else. And she shares that that was a major um, experience for her in her life at that point. Um, She talks about um, the fact that fashion is something that she knew she always wanted to do, uh, being passionate about that as well as music she credits that to her mom because her mom actually wanted to be a fashion designer and unfortunately during her time couldn't do that for just you know where she was lit where she was at in the world and it just wasn't at the time perceived as a real option for a career so she remembers that her mom would make outfits for her and then she would in turn um make outfits for her Barbie dolls and she was just so in love with watching the, the sewing machine going back and forth and just what all, all that came along with actually creating and making garments. Uh, she talks about uh, her love for fashion also being the fact that she would watch the E! Channel and Fashion Week and just would do little sketches to um, and see how she, if she could find any of her sketches on the runway during a particular fashion week show. Um, she knew that when it was time to go to college that she had to make a choice in what she wanted to do and she knew that fashion was what she wanted to pursue and she actually had the opportunity to go to France and study at some very famous institutions there in France that have um, also been where a lot of famous, other famous designers have come from as well so she really enjoyed that and then she in 2013 debuted her first collection in LA Fashion Week and then um, you know we, we end the episode talking about the fact of she was spending so much time working in fashion but she also realized that she still had a love for music and she wanted to get back and, and scratch those itches so she Actually went back to music school, which ultimately led her to record her first EP called Cannibal. And, um, yeah, and, and she's realized how much she appreciates being able to work and pursue both her passions in life. Uh, we also talk about her, we end the episode talking about some of her, her, uh, experiences as an independent artist and how that has affected her her grinding journey guys so 
I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast. This is episode number 30, and this is actually going to be a string of guests uh, that is kind of going to be on the independent level because most of the people, most of the guests I've been interviewing have kind of had careers and been established in some kind of way. And I'm not saying these independent artists aren't established, but it's going to be kind of cool to talk to some of my new friends. Uh, that have been connected to me through a company called B Squared Management. So I'm excited to have the very first guest, uh, my my new friend, Emily Dacarets with me today. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, oh, am I mute? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay, good, yes. <laughs> good, good, good. So yeah, yes, you can no, hear I'm you. great, thank you. <laughs> good, 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 good. And so I'm, I'm so glad to have you on my podcast and. You know, we were talking a little bit before we started this recording, get to know each other a little bit. So it was cool to do that. So um, so you have a lot of creative things going on. So you have a lot of fashion and music, both prof- and professionally. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So um, now you were just telling me right before we started the recording is that you were not born, you were raised in California, right? Right. But you're originally from you you from Kansas? Now, like, is that Kansas, Kansas, or Can- in Missouri? No, Kansas, Kansas. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. And uh, so yeah, so talk to me. So talk to me about you know, kind of. I know you said you're first generation. Your parents are from Honduras, and you have a lot of mixed cultures within you. So kind of talk to me about how it's been being a first generation American for you, from your parents. Being um. Through. Yeah. I. I mean. I think like. Honestly, I've I've always felt really grateful to have that because growing up since the beginning, I just kind of had these two different types of perceptions, I guess. One, living in the U.S. and then also, you know, going to Honduras and it just being very different. But I, I never took it as like, oh, well, the U.S. is better in so many ways. Like, I felt very lucky to be born here and for all the opportunities that we do have here. But I also got to appreciate so much um, just the different culture and the culture that my family is from. And it's a beautiful culture. And so having those two combined just made it like really fun to grow up and you know, you tend to have a more of an open mind. And I feel like it really helps you to put yourself in other people's positions. And do you understand that um, no matter how bad things can be here, um, we are in a place of privilege more so than other countries. And 
and yeah, I think I'm just grateful for that. And it has really pushed me to, um, to go for my dreams just because I think like, you know, I have this amazing opportunity that I am here. Um, so many, like I was telling you, yes, I am like multicultural, and so many of my family, like the reason why everyone ended in Honduras has always been whether it was like religious persecution or, um, just having to leave for political things, war, um, and they all sought refuge in Honduras. And it's kind of like, I've always kind of felt it was super poetic that I, I and my brothers, you know, are a result of that. Just people like looking for a better life and wanting something better for their children. And so here we are. That's awesome. You know, I always tell people when they, I've been fortunate enough to visit six different countries, mostly Europe. Uh, you know, my parents are from Jamaica, so I've never been, in fact, I've actually never been. I'm, I'm first generation American. Uh, my mom was, my, my dad was born in Jamaica, raised in Jamaica. My mom was born in Jamaica, raised in New York or America. So, you know, um, and, and it, it, there definitely is opportunities when you can be born here in the States, you know what I mean? Because you're, no matter what, you, you may have grown up someplace else, but if you have an American passport, it definitely does uh, provide opportunities because and I've known parents who from other countries who, who have personally made sure that their kids were born in America to have an American passport, but they may have been raised somewhere else, but they made sure that their birth certificate said <laughs> America so that they could always come back and take refuge here if they had to, you yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah, that that's amazing. That really is amazing that you've been able to, um, experience that, and, and it's that's interesting. You know, like I said, I've it, it it is something to be said about how other countries are because if you've never traveled to another country outside of America, you don't really understand how blessed you really are mm-hmm. to be American. Even though this, even though as you're going through a lot of political unrest right now with COVID and everything going on with the presidency and all that going on right now, at the end of the day. Most of those people talking have never even traveled outside of America. Going to Puerto Rico or the Bahamas, someplace on a cruise is one thing, but going and traveling. Like I've been to Mumbai, India, and I've been to France, and I've been to these other places that, one, in, in, in Mumbai, like, first of all, that's one of the only countries where our American dollar is pretty still strong over there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it just gives you perspective on how other people live to what, I mean, to see people living in the streets and doing the things that you wouldn't even normally think of. And like, you know, it's like, but it just gives like, man, like my little one bedroom or two bedroom apartment isn't that bad compared yeah. to what other people, how other people have to live. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so I, told, I totally get where you're, I totally get where you're coming from though, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Like for other people, it's just like luxury, yeah. you know, something that they could never imagine for themselves. Right. Exactly. I totally agree. I totally agree. So talk. So the fact that you have both, you know, you pursued both music and fashion professionally. Talk to me about your earliest memories of music and then obviously of fashion. Like when did you kind of get connected to music and when did you kind of know that you wanted to pursue when you wanted to pursue fashion professionally? Both, uh, pro- Yeah, both professionally. Yeah. So music. um, 
I always loved it. And I would make up songs when I was little. And mm-hmm. so I do remember doing that, but it didn't quite hit me how much music was just such a part of me. It was when um, I started, my mom put me in dance class and I think it was something that I had asked for. I was five years old mm-hmm. and it was at my first recital for ballet and just being on stage. And, you know, I was terrified, like, I'm going on stage, little kid, five years old. But as soon as the music started, the lights were out. I, I like transported to this other world where it was just the music and I. And over the years, as far as like my dance career, um, that's something that I looked forward to all the time, which was going into that world where all of a sudden nothing else existed but you and the music and you know your body you were just basically making the shapes and emotions you felt through the music and it was such this it was such an intense connection that I just knew that music for me is an essential (laughs) I can't live without it yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) you know I tell people all the time Music is something we cannot live without. It's actually something that we need to be balanced in life. It's not, you know, I I was riding one time, I was riding in a taxi cab one year, just a few years back. And this guy, the driver who had taken, who had picked me, you know, we had a little bit of a relationship because he had picked me up a few times. And we started talking about music and what I did. And he's like, well, you know, uh, people can't live without air conditioning, but they can live without music. It's wrong. People can live without air conditioning because they do it all the time. Yeah. And music literally saves people's lives. Mm-hmm. It literally can be a matter of life and death for some people. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so I totally get where you're coming from because <laughs> it really is that deep. You know, when people, when you create music and create songs, because what people don't realize is you're in the business of selling emotion and evoking emotion into people. And that's really a really, really big thing. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. You need, music is so essential for everyday life. Yeah. It really is. I totally agree with you on that for sure. What about, and what about fashion? Like, so, so what did, made you decide? So did you also know you want to pursue fashion professionally and go to school for fashion? Like, I, yeah, I did. Um, yeah. yeah, I never changed what I wanted to do since I was little. Um, fashion. Uh, one of my biggest inspirations has been my mom um, because she actually wanted to be a fashion designer and uh, you know it was a different time and a different country where that wasn't viewed as an option so she do it and um, and I remember she would always um, like sew clothes for me and herself for fun and I just I loved being around that when she was doing it I, I loved the sound of the sewing machine and, you know, would crawl under the table, pick up little scraps of fabric. Uh, She would show me how to stitch. So I would make little clothes for my Barbies. And, um, and again, I loved just the sound of the sewing machine so much that I would also like, you know, take my little pillow and blanket under the table and just listen to her. So, and fall asleep to that. So um, my interest in fashion was, a lot earlier than what I even understood what fashion was. And then um, we started to watch like 
fashion week and I would look forward to that all the time and even wake up earlier than her so I could you know watch like E entertainment and see like oh what's going on in fashion and I would have like a I love fashion I love yeah. that you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'd have a little book and I would sketch designs and I would see like oh how many of my designs can I find on the runway so um yeah I just early on knew I need to do something in fashion I know like there's whether it be, well, always wanted to design, but, you know, wasn't quite sure if like that would ever happen until, um, yeah, it was time to start seeing what I wanted to do for college. And, uh, and I had to make that decision. Was it, did I want to be a dancer? Did I want to pursue music as a singer or fashion designer? And that's when I made the choice of, well, I would, I don't want to pick really from the three, but I felt like if I started in fashion, I could eventually bring my other passions into it. And um, so that's what I did. Yeah. Awesome. And that took you to Paris, to France. Yes. So <laughs> that's, Paris. Wow. That's amazing. Like, again, like, the, you know, like I was telling you off before we started recording that, you know, I've been to France several times. Uh, it's very and here's the one. <laughs> So here's the thing about Europe, man. I'm a big guy. So uh, yeah, everything in Europe is small. Yeah. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Everything in Europe is tiny. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, and it's, it's like when you go into elevators, they're really tiny and the bathrooms are small. And it's like, do they not know that not everybody in this Europe is just, you know, is just <laughs> tiny. But I think it's just that Eurocentric type. They think everybody's the same size. <laughs> but uh, no, Europe is cool, man. Let me tell you something. When, when you go to Europe, and being somebody of color, we're both people of color, obviously, but being a black person and going to Europe, and particularly dark skin, you get treated totally different over there. You know, you get treated and in a good way, in a good way. They treat you so much. It, it's there's because one, you're American, and two, you're like because you're dark skin, and they love that over there. It's just like it's. It's just an interesting uh, dynamic to, to experience that. Exactly. I, I mean, I do not ever want to validate anyone's experience, but Never. I yeah, have gotten yeah. asked that a lot. Like, oh, oh, they, you know, was it difficult because they're extremely like racist and all this? And I was just like, I never experienced any of that. Yeah. In fact, um, people just like, you know, they, they would be curious because it, honestly, in the U.S., nobody ever thought that I would even guess that I, you know, do have like Arabic backgrounds. And yeah. um, and sometimes in school growing up, if I did mention it, people would just say like, no, you're not, which is something crazy where I would just be like, wait, you're actually telling me like I'm not Arabic. Right. Right. Even... Right. Right. Um, so that was a, a thing that I did have to deal with here. But then in France, it was um, it was more that they would like, you know, were quite prudent about it, but they would just ask like, I'm so sorry, but like, yes, I know you're American, but like any, like your origins. And so when I would say like, oh, um, I'm also Arabic. And then they would just be like, oh, I knew it. I love it. I could tell like in your eyes, your eyebrows, like, and they would just get so excited about that. Right. So yeah, I I always had a really great experience. <laughs>
No, it's it's definitely it's definitely interesting um, to to experience that. So when you studied fashion and you were graduating, now I'm probably gonna say this wrong. The Instituto Maggioni. Marangoni. Okay, Marangoni. Okay, see, that's why I wanted you to correct me because I know I was gonna mess it up. <laughs> uh, it allowed you to develop a different style aesthetic in overall design, right? And then you went to another school right after that. Right. <laughs> so I know I'm going to mess this one up. So you want to just tell me what the school is? Because I'm going to say it. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, L'Ecole Syndicale de la Chambre. Oh, sorry. L'Ecole. Um, oh, my God. It's been so long because it's such a long name. Yeah. L'Ecole de la Chambre. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so there are a lot, apparently a lot of famous designers graduated from there too. That yeah. have become like uh, Saint Laurent, Valentino, Carl Lagerfeld. Am I saying it Lagerfeld? Am Carl I saying Lagerfeld, that right? Oscar yeah. Lorenza, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's pretty. I mean, that's pretty cool. So how all that? Work? So how do you get a scholarship to go to these schools, or do you have to pay out of your pocket? How did all that work? Um, I had to pay out of pocket, especially since I was an international student. Um, yeah. yeah, my parents, they, they, they're amazing. They just, they want, they were like, you know, this is your dream and we want you to do what will make you happy as long as you work hard. And, um, so I did that and yeah, um, so lucky that my parents did, you know, agreed to that and they helped me and supported me while I was over there. And um, another thing that was nice too was that all my internships were paid. So towards the end when I would start doing my internships um, and that's like a French rule. So, you know, if it's like, if it's like maybe a week or two, you don't have to be, you're not necessarily, they're not required to pay you, but once it's like at least three months, then they're required to pay you. So that helped a lot. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. So um, what were some of those, so, so those internships, so what, what, what were you doing when you first, when you got out of school? Like what, what, what was that whole internship process like? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was a lot, it was funny because I would see a lot of fellow classmates too. And we would just be like, well, so we have the same interview. Okay. <laughs> And everybody with their giant portfolios. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I worked on a lot of, um, for a lot of fashion weeks for, for different designers like Isi Miyaki. Um, I worked for Dior, Chris Van Ash, uh, Kenzo, Chloe, and just uh, also um, Alexander Wang. Okay. They have, rec- like, they have a Paris division now, so I got to work there. And uh, Diane von Furstenberg, which was interesting because it was held by, it was actually like um, the, their British side coming to Paris. So okay. it was just like a funny dynamic because don't want to like get anybody upset, but the British mentality was a bit more like American and, and like New York yeah. where, right. you know, you're an intern, you work, you don't get paid, you don't get breaks. Your, uh, so that was a bit of a clash where I was like, no, I have my, you know, contract <laughs> like, right. treat me this way. But as an international student, 
at the same time, you're like, oh, well, I do kind of need these internships. So, right. yeah. <laughs> you made it happen. You made, I made it, it happen. happen. <laughs> so you graduate, you do all that. And then you created, and in 2013, you debut your first collection at LA Fashion Week. Yes, right? I did it. Yeah. So, so tell me about, tell me about, and, a concept. So that was a show, one of the shows, right? Yes, concept shows. Um, so I moved to LA from Paris thinking like I love Paris and I never thought I was going to leave, but I came to understand that at the same time, I'm more of an artist. Like I'm a fashion designer, but also an artist and just didn't want to be put in a box where I just had one role and that was it and had to be following like someone's artistic direction. Right. And I have mad respect for everybody that can do that. But I just, I found out that that wasn't me that I needed to have a bit more freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, you know, I think, growing up and seeing my parents like they're entrepreneurs and they did everything from the ground up from zero and you know sometimes things go bad but you pick yourself up and you keep on doing that's that's so, the nature of it man that's yeah. <laughs> so for me I was like well what makes me different from anybody else like you know I I have the drive and I'm gonna work hard so I'm gonna do it and um it was scary but I moved to LA and didn't know anybody mm. and just started working on my collection from home from my parents' house, actually. And I hadn't, so I was in Madeira commuting to LA, sometimes like one day trips. So that was a lot of driving and, um, and, and then reaching out to, so I first reached out to an independent film company here in LA called Tiger House Films. And um, I just knew like, well, my collections and the way I design always have a story and I want to share that story with everybody and get them excited. Just like I would get excited when I would look at like old perfume campaigns where they would do like those little story, like a little story in three minutes. So beautiful. Mm -hmm. So that was my pitch and um, they were really interested. So they were like, we've never worked with a designer. Yeah let's let's do it so we came up with the story um we got to do like we got to film in the pink motel in san bernardino which then i see like charlie x xcx like everybody has filmed there <laughs> um and and it, it was just like so crazy but you know people were really kind and that's something i've noticed in la they're very kind to like young aspiring artists where it's like yes you know it's like really below our rate but we'll work with you so um we did that fashion film and then I took stills from that fashion film and reached out to the head of concept shows to see if they would put me in one of their rosters mm -hmm. and um I kind of had to fib a bit saying like yes I've been designing for years and you know I was like fresh out of school and just had done internships hey. Hey, so. <laughs> get the shit. Do whatever you got to do. Whatever you got to exactly. do, you get it in there. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like that's what you got to do. Sometimes you think nobody, not everybody, always tells hundred percent truth. You got to do what you got to do to get in the door. Yeah, and just like a, like one little foot in the door. That's all. 
No, it's true. I'll give you an example. My sister, who's also in the in the who also is in the industry as well. Uh, she lives in New York, which is where we're originally from. But she moved to New York with the dream of being a filmmaker and actress and comedian, which she's doing all that now. But of course, when you first go, you have to you have to pay the bills. So she had never waited tables a day in her life. Went to say, yeah, I can wait tables <laughs> at one of the biggest restaurants in Times Square. And she ended up, she lied to get that job. <laughs> and she worked there. I think they just started her back, but she's only gone like one day a week since the pandemic. But uh, but yeah, she never waited tables a day. Or she lied. And, you know, to, to just to get in the door, do what she had to do. So, so, so I tend to say, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, exactly. Just, just get yourself in the door. And once you're in the door, then it's time to deliver. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Now you're in the door, you're here. They're not going to know that you lied. You exactly. <laughs> you know, so I hear you. So yeah, cool. Yeah. So that's, that's, um, so he actually really loved the, like the fat. So I, I actually got like all my fabric from this mill in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So it was just like the story, the fabric, um, the stills from the film. So he really liked it and ended up giving me a really good sl- time slot, which was 5 p.m. And again, like all the, like so many times, there are so many times in your career where it's just like luck uh, will help you and push you. So um, in I, that- I like, you, I like to use the word serendipity. Serendipity is much better, yeah. Yeah, because exactly. there, there is there is luck involved in success. I mean, anybody who tells you there isn't, it's not their line because you can't. There's everything can't just be. I worked hard. Yeah, you yeah you work hard, but there's certain things you can't plan for. You just mm-hmm. have to be ready to take advantage of the opportunity, and that's what I say. Why I say serendipity because those are things that just happen, and you're in the right place at the right time to be able to say yes, take advantage of it. So yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Exactly. So um, yeah, it was a very hot day that day. And um, so the press decided to just skip the 7 p.m. show, which was the bigger show. I mean, it was, like that designer had been an established designer for years mm-hmm. and they um, they covered my show instead. So, and I actually had no idea how many people were there. Um, I was having nightmares like the day, like weeks before the show thinking no one's going to come to my show. Cause I don't know anybody. I don't even know who to invite except for my family. Yes. <laughs> so it's going to be a show for my family. And, um, and they were all there in the front row. My grandparents were there. It was amazing. They were crying, but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I was just, I have no idea. So I did reach out to a PR firm that worked with, uh, Mike Vensel, who was the head of concept shows, not knowing that they worked with them. And then they were like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll take care of the guest list and everything. So they didn't tell me how many people were there. And um, when it was time for, I was backstage working with the models. And when it was time for me to walk out to my surprise, it was like full house, people were standing and then just a ton of press, like, Women's Wear Daily, um, LA Weekly, like Apparel News, like so many different fashion outlets were there. Right. And I mean, I felt like it, you know, I, I also like I saw my mom cry. So obviously I started crying as I walked in. 
chiropractor. Go ahead. Yeah. With uh, like, like with the models. And so I'm like, oh, like also crying. So we're all crying. And, um, and yeah, then that was, that was the end of my show. And the next day, like my, some of my models were like front page of like apparel news and women's wear daily and just like, you know, fronting for LA fashion week. And um, yeah, so that's when I started it and it was insane. And the next day I had to take the, the, all, the whole collection to the showroom because um, like stylists were calling in to use it for editorial shoots and yeah, it was a uh, one huge world whirlwind, but um, it was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, that is awesome. I mean, you know, one thing I say, we'll get into this, you know, uh, to your journey as an independent artist here in a second. But I always tell people that everybody's journey is different and unique. You know, and and, and you know, there's no ever one straight line to success. You kind of just have to just you know, move and do the things that, that just work for you. So, and, and sometimes you never know where certain things are going to take you. You never know. <laughs> you never know. I love your quote. You said here, fashion should be ever evolving rather than designing from season to season. I'd rather continue to develop a single collection per year that will introduce new accessories and pieces that will change and adapt my customers. Is it ED pieces? Yes. ED pieces. Yeah, throughout the year. Let's move away from fashion and embrace artisan craftsmanship. We had a hashtag that I didn't write that down, but after that. But yeah, I love that quote. Thank like, you. I love that quote. What made you kind of double down on that belief system of like, you know, um, how you kind of see that? So funny enough, it was uh, the fact that I did, you know, see a lot of like, um, like people wanted to see my collections more and more after that first one mm-hmm. and I was writing that high and I was just like oh my god this is amazing this is exciting and so you know I was designing two collections per year and after three years of that I just burned out because I did a show in Paris I did a show in New York and then I came to do a show in LA and um you know like literally like and I do all the pieces that's that's just my thing like I think as a designer like the clothes that you see down the runway have to be made by me because it's through the construction and mistakes and whatever I'm doing as I'm designing and constructing the garment Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, you might like, it's not just, like, you can't design just from a sketch, you, you know, it needs to be 3d and you need to see it. So right. I, I do all of that. And, um, even like had carpal tunnel from it. And, wow. so, like, yeah. <laughs> and after, yeah. after that show, people came and were like, Oh, when's the next one coming? And instead of feeling excited, it, broke my heart because it burnt right because you're just going in the right right yeah I was like but like I that's my baby that I just like showed right now and it's you know and I just I was like it it, you're just like I want to take the time to enjoy it and to see it grow and to see people wear it and all of a sudden I saw myself being sucked into the thing that I hate about fashion which is our reality now and that's fast fashion and not being not knowing how to be patient not knowing 
you know, all the unethical practices that are behind fast fashion. And, and, and what are some of those? You know, what are some of those unethical practices? Well, well, first of all, um, you know, you a lot of these companies that are able to turn around, you know, in a week, an entire collection have it in store ready to sell. What they do is they wait for designers to come, like the transcending designers to come out with their designs mm-hmm. and then they just copy it. So that's number one. But then, right. the, which is okay, okay, you know, we I get it. Fashion influences others. Right. The bad thing is that to have those prices at such a low price point, right. you are having to use cheaper materials, right. use materials that are probably not that great on you. And not only that, but the people that are making it are exposed to such harsh chemicals, right. harsh, harsh working conditions, and are compensated something that like a dollar, like for a week, it's disgusting. Right. Right, you right. Know, like it's heartbreaking when you hear, um, and I, you know, don't necessarily want to say where, but you know, um, like I love Barbie, but you know, Mattel would have obviously all their clothes made overseas, right. and to hear the girls say like for them to get one Barbie would meant their whole salary of the year is just heartbreaking. And here we are just enjoying all of that and demanding that and expecting right. to be so low. And then when you see a garment, which this happened like a couple, like a month ago, where it was mm-hmm. a lingerie company that they worked with mills in France and these like lace mills in France, people don't understand that the, that the, the techniques that they use are like centuries old. Everything is handmade. Everything has to be supervised every minute that they're doing it. So basically like that little piece of lace fabric has all been handmade. Right. So you have to allocate the cost of that. And, you know, people were just like so angry at that price that the lingerie was at. And they even had to come and say, well, this is why, you know, first of all, we're not making many pieces. It's just a limited run. This is to embrace and to encourage this um, long tradition of this village that does this type of lace. Right. Every little motif is completely different because it's handmade. Right. And we want to support them. So, and, you know, and honestly, it's okay. Like, it's okay to not expect everything that is made to be available to everybody because you know i then we're also wearing a uniform so yeah. uh, i just i don't know i just i i really <laughs> i'm going on on a tangent i'm so no, sorry. it's cool it's cool no 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 that's what we're on a podcast <laughs> you know it's cool because i think i wanted to know but you know because again i like fashion but i mean there's things that you know being a professional okay because i tell people all the time Putting something on a shirt, T-shirt, is not fashion. That's merch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between real fashion, cutting pieces, sewing. That's a real. It's cash. It's a cash. It's an expensive industry to make a clothing line. It's expensive. It's it's a you know, and I know very little about that, but I just know enough to know it's very very expensive to and and you got to have a lot of. If Kanye West had to put out to do Yeezy, what, $13 million of his own money? Because at that time, you're from the music world. Speaking of music and fashion, it's like, people don't, people don't care what you did in the music space. So There's a whole other ballgame here. Trying yeah. to get a high fashion. 
you know. So he's trying to deal in high fashion when the majority of people who listen to his music can't even afford those prices. But when the Yeezys first came out, you're talking about six hundred, seven hundred, you know, dollars for who people can't afford that. Those, you know, and so it's like it, it's you know, it's it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, yeah. and and also, and I mean, I so knowing that at the same time, yeah. And one of the reasons why I did love making the short fashion films is because I thought like, well, you know, not everyone's going to be able to afford what I do. And also I'm not making a lot of units per, per design. Mm -hmm. So through the film and through the music, everyone can enjoy it without having to pay for it. Right. And, um, and also that's kind of how I got back into music was that the first film I produced the song I wanted to use, which was a French song, um, was just the the process of getting the license for it was taking way too long. So you went ahead and just did your own? So long. Yeah, so the director, he was like, well, our plan B, let's go to, let's see this composer that I've been wanting to work with. So I, I was like, yeah, let's let's just do it because it's take, like we can't keep waiting. Like the show's right. in a week. Right like two weeks so we need a song for that right and um so he took me to meet this composer um as peace Nostatus, and uh we hit it off immediately he knew exactly the style that i was aiming for which was this 70s retro french pop um the song that i wanted to use was called uh, je t'aime mon en plus by jane birkin and serge gainsbourg and um, and he just started, you know, like playing on his piano. And I was like, he he gets it. He knows what this is. And like, right. and the thing is, like, with those songs, there's like a sort of simplicity that is understated and, right. and also quite complex. So right. I feel like you do need to have a love and understanding of it. And um, so we started working on the song that day. And I fell in love with that process. And ever since then, we we kept collaborating on um, on music for my collections until I finally thought, okay, can't keep lying to myself. I really miss music. I really miss performing. I made it, you know, I made it such a big deal to stand behind my brand that I didn't want to be the face of it. Right. But in that same time, I was like, you know, really silencing that part of me, which was the artist and performer. Yep. So, um, so yeah, so I went to music school and uh, for a year to learn how to produce and just kind of, you know, I wanted to respect the musicians I would be working with and producers and by understanding, having a better understanding of the music industry and, you know, the production side. And yeah. um so I did that, and then that's how I came out with my first EP, Cannibal. Interesting, interesting. That's see, yeah, everything kind of comes full circle, man. And I always say, when you're walking into your purpose, it always works out, right? It always yeah. works out, you know. Um, we have a new accessories line coming out, right? Yes. Dropping soon. So what? So tell me about that. What's what's that about? So one um, of my so. One of my internships, I had to, I also lied that I knew how to make accessories. <laughs> okay. Again, <laughs> Again. Do what you got to do to get in the door. Exactly. Yeah. 
you know, I was very naive into thinking like, oh, I'm just going to be, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. Cause I didn't know how to do accessories. And then I ended up going to uh, the, the studio that day. And my off and my desk was filled with all these tools and chains and all these things. And I just realized like, wow, uh, <laughs> I have no idea. And um, after two hours of me, just like, I didn't even know how to pick up the tools. Uh, um, that's when the designer realized like, okay, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and she came and she spent like about an hour with me just showing me how to do one piece. And she was like, okay, let's start from zero just for the rest of the day, just practice making like a little loop with, with the with the wire and this tool. So I did that. And I mean, I was also mortified because I was like, I was caught lying. Oh my God. <laughs> well, she probably figured, hey, she probably figured she's done it before. She probably, yeah. she probably figured, hey, look, you do what you got to do to get in. Because yeah. that's, that's just the nature of, in the music industry, you always say, look, just say yes. Even if you don't figure out, just say yes, get in the door and let the universe work it out. Mm-hmm. So, I totally get it because people do that all the time. Like, you don't want to miss out on an opportunity because if you say no, they they pass up on you. Somebody else gets that opportunity and now you don't know what could have happened. So exactly, you you did the right thing. The right thing was to lie. Yeah. And And I mean, I I didn't have to go to school to learn how to access, to make accessories. I I had to learn on the job. And Um, after like a couple weeks, I actually became super fast at it. Mm-hmm. And um, she ended up, she was going to get another intern, but it was like, you're so good. <laughs> I guess I don't need another intern. And um, mm-hmm. I just took it as a learning experience. And now for myself, I'm doing it again, which is just um, handmade artisan style jewelry um different from what I did in that internship this is actually more like molded pieces and um I'll soon be sharing them but yeah it was um it's a little bit of abstract art and jewelry making Mm -hmm. and um and it's it's so much fun for me because I love working with my hands and you know in that time as I'm making each piece it's just like the world makes sense and I'm so hyper-focused on it. And it's just like, it's so peaceful. So I'm really excited to bring these. And I hope like, you know, it'll bring like peace to people too, because like good energy flows through that. <laughs> that is so awesome. That's so awesome. So got a few more things before we end the episode. I want to definitely talk about kind of your, your journey as an artist, you know, as a me- on the music side. So um you kind of already touched this while you want to take music more seriously, you know, as far as how, you know, your fast, your work in fashion kind of brought you back to taking music and you went to school to kind of learn that space. So that's pretty cool. So what do you, would you, how would you say your journey's been as an independent artist? Was that in the, because there's three types of artists, right? You have, you have trendy artists. I would say it's usually two, usually two um, categories, at least it's my philosophy. Trendy and talented, trendy and talented, right? Trendy artists just do stuff on trend. And when the trend changes, they're pretty much screwed. They're only doing so on trend. They're not really here because they want to be here. They're just here because they, music is a hustle for people like that. People like that, music for them is just like, ah, oh, they, don't, they don't really love it. It's a hustle for them. 
It's a way to turn. And I, I just don't like to treat it because it's too hard to treat it just like that way. It's just too difficult to just think anybody can come in and do it. That's the problem with the internet now. It's a double-edged sword that anybody can do can do it. So people feel like they, they can disrespect the craft by half-assing it. And I've just never really prescribed to that. And then you have then you have artists who are talented. So usually when you're talented, you know, and you're skilled, it's just gonna take you longer. It just is, you know? And that's the hardest part because as you know, the main thing that most artists struggle with is funding, is mm-hmm. money, because it's expensive to do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely expensive. And so, you know, unfortunately, unlike Canada, because you know, Canada, their government believes in the arts, so they have funding. I don't know if you knew that. But Canadian, Canadians can actually apply for grants and they will give you money to go to the studio. They'll give you money to go on tour. They'll give you money to go to conferences. And they fund this stuff. And one of my good buddies, D.O. Gibson, has been a full-time rapper making the six-figure income for the last 20 years. And a lot of what he does is go to schools and teach young kids about, about hip-hop. And, he, and he's a motivational speaker. He's written several books. And I mean, you know, he's done amazing things, you know, and he's been able to do, he's had a, this has been his full-time job for 20 years, living in a million dollar house and, you know, in Toronto and, you know, you know, he's not by no means a celebrity or anything, but he lives a real nice life. <laughs> so, and, and he's, thank, you know, he's a black Canadian, you know, he's, you know, he's, well, he's biracial, half black, half white, but the beauty that their government in Canada, because they have more of a socialistic mentality of, you rather have 10 people make 100000 a year and only have a couple make a couple million a year versus how you know how it's here in the States. It's free enterprise. <laughs> you know, you make, you eat what you kill, basically. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, that's the big, that's always the biggest thing is funding, you know, because people, it's tough to do this, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> it is. It, it, yeah. it, it, it's so tough. And I mean, one thing that I've really had to, pra- I've every day have to practice is patience. And, um, yeah. you know, because sometimes it does get to you. You see, like, really? That song ha- is blowing up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. okay. And then, you know, and, but, um, but one thing that I did, you know, and this is something that I did have to ask myself a lot while I was going to music school and while I, you know, how did I, I thought, oh, I could design and still go to school at the same time. But it was really too hard because it too many classes and too much responsibility and I was going full time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it was like stressful too. thinking like, I mean, am I crazy for doing this? Like, should I just stick to what I know and what I'm good at or because I'm risking a lot by taking this break to go to school and learn something completely different and then introduce that to the people that have already known me as a designer. Mm-hmm. But um, the more I would ask myself, like, why am I doing this? Like, is this some vanity project? Is this just some like childhood dream that I want to see if I can do? Like, why? And the answer just kept getting clearer and clearer. And it, it is that it's, you know, I, like growing up, I was inspired by all these amazing artists and they made me so happy and like that I could dream. And they, they helped you, your imagination just grow because 
some of the stuff I saw saw was really wacky. Like, you know, David Bowie, Tim Burton. Um, I'm a huge fan of Johnny Depp and all his character acting and Edward Scissorhands and Danny Elfman. And so I love the weird, the strange, the lovable. And I just felt like if I can inspire people at least with like the things I love and show them and share why I love them and why it's so important for me. Um, then that's, that'll make me happy. Um, you know, and to like kind of keep the artistry alive and, and it being about experimenting and knowing like, Hey, sometimes you're going to fall on your face because sometimes it might not work, but maybe 10 years later, that thing that you did will work. And um, I'd rather be that person than to be the trendy person that did the backpack song, because I don't think I would be very proud of myself. If that I hear you. I hear you. And that, you know, because, again, you're doing this for more than just trying to get rich. Or people do this stuff, you know, because here's what's happening in the major record companies. And it's it, they're not signing artists they're signing influencers they are signing people who have numbers. And it's, I get it. It's business. But. These people who are these TikTokers, you know, how do we know they can even command a room? It's one thing to create content on your phone, but but does that translate to the stage? Yeah. So that's where it's gonna matter. It's cool to have all these. I was so as I had this guy reach out to me the other last week, and he's like, I'll make these really catchy songs and you know, that I think they're going to go viral. And I say, and I basically try to tell them, you're trying to, you're trying to create a career hoping that, okay, I'm going to make this really catchy song. I want to get this guy on TikTok to do a dance to it. And hopefully he has, hopefully enough of his followers will catch on and it'll, tra- and it'll translate back to a bunch of spend on, a bunch of streaming on Spotify. Look, at the, I told him, you got to do the foundational work. You're trying to build a career and hoping something goes viral. It doesn't always work. Do the foundational work so that way, when you if it does happen to go viral like that, you can capitalize off of it because you got your foundation already set. Stop tr- because most of these TikTokers, yeah, they're cool. They, but is it going to translate to a music career? Most of them probably not. But I get why the labels are doing it because they're they got to be able to justify. If I'm going to give somebody five ten million dollars, they got to have numbers. Because for them, that's just what it's about at that level, you know? So I totally get it. So, you know, you rather make songs of substance for you. And I listen to your music. They're very, you know, you make songs that you have a message, you know what I mean? And so you don't want to just do the cookie-cutter, easy stuff that people... There's a space for that. Don't get me wrong. There is a space to do that. So I'm not knocking anybody that wants to do that. Look, you do whatever you feel is authentic to you, you know? That's what I always try to tell people. Do what's authentic to you and find your community that loves that. That's the easiest way to do this thing. Build community, get those core super fans that love you. And, and, and you know, you may not become a millionaire from it, but you can make a living and you can, you can, you can be proud of your work. And I think that's, yeah. I think that's the biggest, I think that's the biggest thing, right? To be proud of what it is that you're so, doing. Right? Yeah. I think like, I mean, I, yeah, I, <laughs> like sometimes I'm like, well, I think I'm kind of weird, but I just never cared about the money or, you know, to, to be able to say, oh, I live in this like multi-million dollar house. Like, mm-hmm. 
even I think like even if I could afford it, I, I doubt I would want to do it just because like why? Um, I'd rather work. That's my thing. Like I just, <laughs> I just want to be able to like keep on working, keep on creating, mm-hmm. keep on pushing the limits of my creativity and what I can come up with. And, you know, it's like, it would be amazing to have the funding that other artists are given, especially, you know, like we were just saying, like people that are influencers and now are, Hey, let's give you a music career. Cause why not? Um, but I guess in a way, you know, we are forced as like do it yourself artists to mm-hmm. think outside the box and to yeah. see, what can we do? And you know what? Those are the people that I think become legends. Like, you know, I don't think Jimi Hendrix would have been an influencer at all. Right. And I think it's incredible that, you know, because of him, we use the techniques we do now, where at the time people thought, like, why are you making those weird sounds? off your guitar that's horrible stop and he's the one who introduced this to us which is what we do now distortion and everything so you know i yeah those are the people i look up to and i mean not saying i'm going to be Jimi hendrix but if i could be one of those artists that can you know move the industry and it's about impact and, and it's not just about volume it's about again finding your tribe you know, I think because when you can look at it from its perspective of finding your tribe, it's much easier than trying to say, I need to, be, I need to have uh, two, 10 million fans, which is very hard to do, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get there. That's not an easy thing to do. If, we all, if it was all that easy, we'd all do it, you know, because everybody, like I said earlier, everybody thinks there's one straight line to success. Or work for this person. If you do it exactly like them, it's going to work. And I say, it's not saying you're not going to see success, but it, it's not cookie cutter. You can't just say, just follow this path and it's exactly going to work out exactly that same way. Does not mean you're not going to get to become successful because you can still become successful, but it's just everybody's path is different. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of the hardest things people have to learn is that to trust the journey, trust the process of what is it you're doing and embrace that part of it more than the result. Too, too many people are just only focused on the result instead of focusing on the journey along the way. Because yeah. that's where the real success is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, enjoying the now. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So um, tell me about your new project. Uh, let's come out, yours truly, before we get out of here. Tell me about what's coming out. So you have, you have Cannibal out right now. Cannibal's out. I also have Fading Memories, which is the lead single to... Uh, my upcoming album, Yours Always. Okay. And um, yeah, Yours Always has um, has been pushed back <laughs> a couple times. And mainly because we, we, we recorded this entire album um, and it has a very big band feel. Uh, Fading Memories is the third track in the album, which is more the waltz and like the slow, like it's more the inner monologue of the album because everything is connected it all kind of tells a story gotcha and, okay. and it all deals with um love loss dreams childhood memories and 
and of course fading memories and and time and i feel like music is the only way that we're actually able to capture a moment in time because you might forget all the details or you might even forget the memory but then you hear that song that triggers that memory and all of a sudden you can remember everything you're back in that moment you've traveled back you can smell taste everything that happened then and um so this whole album is about that and uh and so one of the things we wanted to do with my producer was really make this like a sonic experience a 360 experience and take advantage of like the adobe atmos surround sound so we recorded that way and then um you know thought like okay well we'll what we'll do is release it now which would have been in the summer and then re-release it later once that is more available to a wider audience little did we know that like apple uh lossless came out like a couple like a month or two ago um i know samsung is doing it too so all these different streaming platforms and spotify too they're also like um having this new way for you to listen to music okay. so um so because of that then we were like okay let's then just remix and master how we wanted to do it originally and uh so yeah so the next single off that album is coming out uh, end of october which is called um pieces of a broken heart and yours always will most likely be out in january oh okay cool i had it wrong i said yours truly <laughs> okay my bad. You know, it's in the same. Okay, my bad. I'm like, I had it written. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. It's okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No, it's it's um it actually so yours always is actually the first song off the album, and that song is entirely in French. So I have a lot of French and English in throughout the whole album. Okay. Um, but yeah, I so I would always sign my letters. Yours always, Emily. So this being my first al- complete album, and um, I mean, I wrote it during lockdown, like full lockdown, mm-hmm. and just put all these emotions and everything I was going through at the time on pen and paper that once I was done, it just felt like, well, I know I'm not the only one feeling this way. I'm not the only one that, you know, needs this like hope again to feel like you can hope and dream and still dream and be happy and also understand that it's okay to be sad right now that it's not eternal but sometimes you are sad and that's okay and so um yeah it just felt like it was no longer just mine and so that's where the title comes from yours always for everybody because I'll always be here to, I mean, I'm very optimistic and to a fault. So um, yeah, to make people happy and be their cheerleader and say like, you can dream, you can still hope. I love that. I love that. So before we get out of here, where can people find you? How can they connect to you? All that. Yeah. So um, I'm very active on my socials. You can find me um, Emily Dacaret on all my social <laughs> for all my social handles. And, um, I'm, if you want to listen to my music, I am on Spotify, Apple music, Pandora, Amazon music, anywhere you can stream music. You'll find me there under Emily Dacaret. 
and um and you can keep up with me and my fashion line um on emilydacrit.com and for the music emilydacritmusic.com okay great 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 oh see you know what i i, I went to i went to your uh, that's why i didn't see any um music stuff on this emily decorate could you have oh, a yeah, that's just fashion yeah ah okay <laughs> i learned okay cool all right i'll have to you know i think what i'll do is like maybe do like a link like oh if you want yeah, to definitely because i think because I went to, and the reason, again, the reason why I went to, to Emily Decorette is because that's the email. That's okay. That must be her site. So I just yeah. went there. I didn't think about, you know. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's all good. It's all good, though. You know, we're still able to intertwine both. So I'm so glad, man. So thank you for being my guest today. This has been a great conversation. And we are now friends. So yes. you can just be a friend. All the way on the East Coast. I'm in Florida, but you know, it's a little, you know, a little different time zone, but it's all good. And and I would definitely support you in any way I can. And uh definitely would like to have you back again on the podcast sometime. And, and, and whatever I could do to help you, just let me know. Thank you. And so um, much. guys, this has been fun. It's been another episode of the Incurrent Inspired Podcast. And until next time, I'm out of here. This is Darrell Peart. I'm gone. Peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool.